Well, good morning to all of you. Very good morning to you. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, it is that weekend, fun weekend, uh, a good weekend. Um, and I am thankful to be here. I'm very thankful to be with you, my church family, this morning. So uh, please pray with me again, and uh, we'll continue. Yes, Lord, we do want to say thank you, especially for what Pastor Brett had mentioned earlier, your steadfast love, your never-ending, your never-giving-up love for us in Christ. We are so deeply grateful for that, and I just pray that everything we're doing this morning now with singing and now with this opportunity for a message um, and fellowship and connecting after this message, that you would use it all to just stir up ever-deepening appreciation uh, for your deep love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 66, verse 16, says this, says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I will tell you what God has done for my soul, the psalmist says. And I want to do that with you this morning. Um, so I'll kind of actually want to continue here, really, uh, what I started a couple weeks ago as I had the opportunity to be here in the pulpit a couple weeks ago. I want to continue sharing today some overflow of what God has done for my soul. Um, insights, reflections, impressions, um, these things that I think the Lord has been leading me into, um, specifically in the wake of, uh, of my recent sabbatical. So, so some of you, if you might be newer with us, you might not know, but I recently uh, returned from a 12-week sabbatical. And um, I would say if you weren't here a couple weeks ago to hear that first sermon, I would encourage you to go on our, our website and check that out, watch that or listen to that, uh, that sermon. Not because I think it's a great message at all, but it just there's a, it gives a window uh, for you into uh, some of the a little bit of what my sabbatical looked like for our, for me and for my family, and again some of the the things into which the Lord is leading me. Do I sound a little funny, Sam? Already, it's it's something else. Okay, sorry. Or it might be this beard. It's kind of getting hung up there. Um, okay, well, all right. I trust I don't sound funny right now. Um, anyway, I do want to, yeah, encourage you to take a look or take a listen to that sermon from a couple weeks ago because it'll give you a little flavor of what I did on the sabbatical and, and what the Lord has been leading me into. And today then, I would kind of want to continue there. I want to overflow a bit from sabbatical like that Psalm 66. I want to share some more of what God has done for my soul. So not a, a single main point here today, but really just some bullet pointed things that the Lord is stirring in me. And, I, and, and as I'm doing that, I want to invite you in to consider these things for yourself as well. Consider what might the Lord be speaking to you related to these things. Is he stirring you in some similar ways? So again, not a single main point here, but there is a common theme uh, to the message today, and that is the theme of love. The theme of love. So a few bullet points here related to love. So first of all, thinking about love for God and how that relates to love for others. Love for God and love for others. It's just been impressing on me lately just how tightly connected are love for God and love for others. Really inextricably linked, just totally enmeshed. You can't really have a love for God 
uh, without love for people. Loving God and loving people are really uh, inextricably tied together. So uh, Mark 12, uh, Jesus says this, Mark 12, verses 29 to 31. Jesus said, the most important commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment, Jesus says, greater than these. So just notice there that Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And his answer is to say two things. So we, we kind of want to say, well, which is it, Jesus? Is it, it, what's the greatest? Is it to love God or is it to love people? And Jesus says, yes, it's both. It is both. Both of these things, both are the greatest. It's really like Jesus is kind of conflating these two, uh, these two commands into a single command. The two become one. They become enmeshed uh, with one another. And I think the Apostle Paul uh, says as much over in Romans 13. You can notice in Romans 13, Romans 13, verses 8 to 9, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves, the one who loves another, has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and here he's going to give us some of the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment. They're all summed up, Paul says, in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor and your, as yourself. This sums up the, the law, essentially the law and the teachings of the Old Testament. This is the very foundation of it. This is the aim of it. And Paul says essentially the same thing in Galatians 5, uh, 14. You can see there, the whole law, he says, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's all summed up in this one word or this one commandment. Again, love your neighbor as yourself. And again, I, I just, what, what I think the Lord is pressing into me here lately is just a deeper appreciation for this. Just noticing this more clearly, a deeper appreciation of this, that this love for neighbor that is love for God. My love for my neighbor is love for God. I love God by loving my neighbor. Um, that's the emphasis there. You, you think about the great commandment there of love God and love others. You might expect that the accent would be placed over the love God part. But that's not where the accent is placed. It's over the love people part. Um, and and uh, Jesus does this too. In fact, in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says that the, the so-called golden rule, do for others as you would have them do for you, the golden rule as we call it, he says, this is the law and the prophets. This is the sum of all the law and the prophets is to do for others as you would have them do for you. In other words, to love them. So when we, when we think about loving God, the accent really, the emphasis falls on loving people. Um, Jesus, again, in John, verse, uh, John chapter 13, John 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So it, that, and that, that strikes me as interesting, too. So it's not as like Jesus is saying, love me as I have loved you. It's not what he says. He says, he doesn't say to love him as I have loved you. He says, as I have loved you, love others. 
As I have loved you, love others. Now, of course, I mean, we know from the broader uh, context of Scripture that, of course, we do love Jesus more directly. But the emphasis here is, as I have loved you, love others. Love others. So Jesus' love, it's just grabbing me in these deeper ways that it's just not meant to terminate on me. It doesn't terminate on us, but it's meant to flow right through us to um, love others. And as God's love, Jesus' love flows through us to love others, it's in that loving others that we are loving God. Uh, That is something that I think, again, over the course of sabbatical and certainly up to the present moment, the Lord is just pressing deeper into me. This sense of the deeply intertwined nature of, of loving God and loving others. Inseparable, interwoven, really interdependent tie of love for God and love uh, for others. And I just want you to, to invite you in to, to listen to the Spirit on this. Um, think what might God be stirring in you. I mean, consider when you think about loving God, do you think love people? Does, does that occur to you or do those tend to be sort of separate ideas? Do you think that the way that you will love God is by loving others? Or again, functionally, practically, do those sort of remain separate kind of ideas? I remember a moment, um, one day, uh, during my sabbatical, I was in my office, um, uh, as was a fairly regular routine in the mornings, I was alone there, in uh, trying to just be alone with Jesus, seeking his face, praying, meditating on scripture, and really, I mean, frankly, making an effort to love God, like I wanted to sort of reach up and and love God, and, and praying, Lord, help me love you. Stir up affections in my heart to love you. And, and then it just in, in this moment, it just sort of hit me. Get up and go play with your kids. Get up and go wrestle and play with your kids. And it just struck me that in that moment, at least, in that particular instance, it's like God was telling me, you will love me by going and playing with your kids. You will love me by wrestling with your kids and just being present with them. So our, our love for God is expressed in our love for people. It's certainly not, not only that. I mean, there is an emotional thing to it. There are, there are motives that are attached to love. But for me, this is where the Lord is pressing me really at the moment. That, that, that our, my love for God, our love for God, is expressed in our love for people. Our love for people, my love for people, um, is evidence of my love for God. And, uh, and I just want to invite you into that again Consider if the Lord might be stirring you uh, in a similar way here today. Love for God, really, it's earthy. I mean, it's, it's just the ins and outs of relationships. You know, we, we love God is loving our kids. Love God is, loving God is loving my wife. It's loving my neighbors. Loving God is loving my church family. Um, loving God is loving people in the, in the mall that I don't even know. Loving your, the stranger. Um, it's, it's loving people who might even be against me. It's loving my enemies. That is loving God, to love even my enemies. So that's the, the first bullet point there I wanted to share. Again, just noticing that deep, tight, just inseparable package of loving God and loving others. And I, I want to say, I know, you know that. I know that. Uh, love God, love others, Yes. But it's this pressing deeper to really see just how enmeshed they really are. Because I think I can, I can, it's just very easy for me to sort of separate those things. Even though in my head, I get it, they're together. But man, as it keeps going from my head to my heart, I'm seeing those things come 
closer together. So that was the first bullet point. Um, another bullet point here, very much related to the first. Um, it's what this love for people actually looks like. Okay, what does this look like? So yes, you might say, yes, yes, love God, love people. I want to love God. I want to do that by loving others. But what does that look like? I mean, practically, what does it look like? And, uh, and so another one of the things that I think the Lord has been stirring into me lately is just to appreciate more deeply, again, really the, the many descriptors of love that we have in the Bible, especially in, in the, the New Testament. Um, so God doesn't um, sort of call us to love people, but just sort of leaving, leave us groping in the dark as to what this might actually look like. He does actually give us a pretty good idea of what this love can look like or could look like or maybe should look like. And so I'm reminded of texts like 1 Corinthians 13. Um, uh, well-known text for many. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 6. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So just notice that these are qualities, these are characteristics that describe love. They're not identical to love, but these things describe love. And I know this, uh, you know, a passage like this, this 1 Corinthians 13 passage, it can be a little bit cliche. Uh, For some, it's just like, hey, we need something for a wedding verse, so let's grab 1 Corinthians 13, and there it is. But if you can try to look past the cliche here, look past the just sort of how common this passage can be, and just really hear the Lord in this passage. I mean, he, he's telling us here, this is what love looks like. We express our love for God in loving people. And this is what it looks like. So in other words, if I love you, I'm going to be patient with you. If I love you, I am going to be kind with you. Um, I'm not going to be irritable or rude. I won't insist on my own way and so on. And I just think that's, that's earthy. There's not a whole lot that's really mysterious about that. We can think of love as being this mysterious thing. But that's just everyday relational stuff. You know, I, I want to love. How? Be patient. Be patient with your coworker with whom you disagree. Be kind to the person helping you at the bank. Uh, be polite with the person helping you at Target. Don't get irritated with your kids. Don't be irritable uh, with your neighbor. Uh, Don't be envious of your neighbor, and so on. That's love. These are all ways that we can practically, in literally every relational moment, love God by loving others in these ways. And uh, maybe notice also in that list of descriptors in 1 Corinthians 13, notice that there's not... uh, at least this strikes me, that there's not much there by way of um, words to be said. Like, what do we say? Um, We don't have as much guidance on sort of exactly what to say in any given circumstance or what to do in any given circumstance sort of to love. But we do get more how we might say something or how we might do something. What might be the disposition of our hearts as we're interacting and relating with others? So whatever we might say or do, say or do it with kindness, with patience. Say or do whatever you're going to say or do 
with calm, with politeness. Be polite. Don't be rude. And so on. So loving people as much, loving people is as much about how we interact with them as it is what we actually say to them or with them. It's every bit as much how we interact and say the things that we say or do the things that we do as it is with what we're actually doing or saying. So whatever I do or say, I just want to be more mindful of all of these descriptors that we see in 1 Corinthians 13. And this 1 Corinthians 13 passage, I don't think Paul intends that to be a kind of an exhaustive list there of love characteristics. It's helpful. Um, I would add to that a list from passages like Colossians 3. Um, We won't quote it, but you could look that up later. In Colossians 3, Paul mentions kindness and patience, just like in 1 Corinthians 13. But he also speaks of compassion and humility and meekness and bearing with one another forgiveness. So I think those could be added as well to, as, as sort of if we had a list of descriptors of love. Um, you, or you could think of Galatians 5. Um, in Galatians 5, Paul gives us a list there of, of what is known as the fruit, of the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I think in context there in Galatians 5, I think you could add those, those, uh, that fruit to the list as well. So Paul mentions patience there and kindness there as well. Those two seem to keep coming up, patience and kindness, but he adds to that things like goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and and more. So I think those could be added to uh, descriptors of love. And I think those things, again, those descriptors, 1 Corinthians 13, you might say Colossians 3, Galatians 5, there's others as well. They're not these aren't love in and of themselves, but these describe love. They give us a, a, a sense of, of how we can describe it in a much more full and robust way than maybe we're used to. Um, love is so robust, really. It's so big. It's so amazing. It's so important. It's so foundational that we kind of need all of these descriptors to get our hands on it and, uh, and to really walk it out. And, and these descriptors help us to actually put feet to our love. Love walks, we could say. Actually, in um, Ephesians 5, Paul says, walk in love. So love walks. There is, a, there is a, an action to it. And, um, and these descriptors kind of help us get our minds wrapped around that and get us taken a step forward. So love is it's more than mere affection in the heart. Um, it definitely is that. To be sure, there is this emotional experience to love, absolutely no doubt. And it's more than that. The the heart affection, the emotion of love gives way to it, overflows, and it expresses in humility or meekness or patience or compassion or gentleness. And and the list could go on. So so that's another bullet point I just want to share with you. Just again, seeing and appreciating that we actually have a pretty good idea God helps us out pretty well in giving us an idea of how we can practically walk in love uh, with people. And, um, and it, it's, 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 again, it's like so robust that we need all of these descriptors to describe what love really is. Um, and it's important, again, with that bullet point, we're just noticing how important it is that as we, as we Lit, walk in these descriptors, as I'm walking in these descriptors, this is not something diff- different from loving God. I am loving God as I am walking in these ways. A final bullet point here. Um, 
just thinking of the impact of this or, or, or an impact of this, um, how, how maybe has this impacted me? A couple of these bullet points. Um, how might it impact you as you consider this here this morning? And, and as you hear these things, probably that don't sound altogether new, but maybe there is some traveling that has to happen for you as well, further from your head to your heart. Um, what, what, what might be the impact? Um, and uh, I shared a couple quotes last week from David Paulison. I'll share a couple similar ones today. Um, David Paulison actually really helped me in this. I read a book on sabbatical talking about sanctification. And he says this, he says, sanctification means pointedly, freely, genuinely loving other people. And I think he's right. I mean, at least that's what I I think is stirring in my soul at present. Um, In light of this particular message, I tweak that to say loving God means pointedly, freely, genuinely loving other people. And uh, another quote by Paulus in here, kind of a prayer actually. Uh, he says, Lord, help me to stop, to care, to notice, to listen, to express candid appreciation, to share my life. And I would say, yes, me too, Lord. Yes and amen to, to that prayer. I mean, I think that's love. That, this prayer here that really expresses the kind of a, um, the spirit really, of these different descriptors that we've, been, that we've seen. Stopping to really be present with people, listening, um, appreciating, sharing life. I mean, really, when you think of these descriptors, they're all, you, you notice they're all very relational um, in, in, their, um, in their shape. They assume interpersonal relationships for love to really work out. And they assume, actually, that those relationships actually won't always be easy. I mean, if, if we have to practice patience um, or we have to practice forgiveness, it's likely that we're probably in some tension in a relationship. Maybe a little bit of tension, maybe a lot of tension. So there's, but there's a relational dynamic to it. And I think really, for me, as I think about this, I think for me um, to actually love people with these descriptors in mind, like patience and kindness and gentleness and so on, I just have to slow down, and I have, to, I have to take a breath, I have to relax, I actually have to take time to listen. I have to, I have to notice things. Um, I, I need to live, another way to say this is I need to live more in the moment, uh, mindfulness, uh, more in the, in the moment, more with people when I'm with people. More actually with people when I'm with people. In other words, more mindful of other people's fears, mindful of other people's interests, mindful of other people's desires and their hopes and their dreams, the things that make them sad, the things that make them happy. Um, More mindful of the other when I'm in relationship. I have this tendency. The Lord is, 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 is helping me to see this more. I have this tendency, man, when I'm with people, I am always thinking about myself. Now, I'm overstating it. Not always, but but I just think a lot about myself. And, and I, the Lord is stirring me to think more about the other person. Not thinking about what they're thinking about me, but actually concerned with their fears, their hopes, their, their, their desires, and so on. So mindfulness in the moment, especially in relational moments. Listening, noticing. Um, I heard a story related to this, this idea of mindfulness in the moment. 
um, mindfulness of our surroundings, uh, presence in our surroundings. I heard this story, actually, Karina, um, I think it was right at the tail end of sabbatical, um, she showed me this children's book, uh, and uh, it's called um, The Man with the Violin. I think we have a slide of the cover of it. Um, And this is a true story, actually. Again, I heard of it first through this children's book, but evidently this story has made the rounds on the internet the last couple years. And here's one version of the story, okay? I'm going to read to you a little bit here. Um, uh, And this isn't so much the story as it is kind of a report of the story, but I'm going to read a little bit to you here. Here's the story. A man sat at a metro station in Washington, D.C., and he started to play the violin. It was a cold January morning. He played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that thousands of people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. A few minutes went by, and the violinist received his first dollar tip. A woman threw the money in the till and, without stopping, continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but the man looked at his watch and started to walk again. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy, His mother tagged him along, hurried, but the kid stopped and looked at the violinist. Finally, the mother pushed hard, and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. And this action was repeated by several other children. All the parents, without exception, forced them on uh, to move on. In the 45 minutes that the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 gave him money, but continued to walk their normal pace. He collected about $32, And when he had finished playing and silence took over, no one noticed it, no one applauded, nor was there any recognition. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians in the world. And he played one of the most intricate pieces uh, uh, ever written with a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before his playing in the subway, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston, and the seats averaged $100 each. So this is a real story. And Joshua Bell, uh, he was playing incognito in the metro station. This was organized by the Washington Post. It was part of a social experiment that they did about perception, taste, and the priorities of people. So they wondered, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize the talent in an unexpected context? And they say one of the possible conclusions from this experience could be that if we do not have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing the best music ever written, how many other things are we missing? So the point is presence, uh, mindfulness, um, being there in the moment, especially related to things I'm saying this morning, mindful of, uh, of, of, of the other when we are with others and, and in our relationships, mindful of God's presence in those interpersonal relational moments. God is with us. He's, he's there. He's doing things, trying to be mindful of that, trying to be mindful of his beauty, trying to be mindful of what he's working in us and in the other person. And also, of course, the other person, mindful, again, of their interests, mindful of their concerns, mindful of what God might be doing with them, and I and I think that uh, this idea of mindfulness just will really serve our uh, walking in love. It will really serve. Certainly, I think it will serve me walking out all of these descriptors of love. If we can really work by God's grace and with His power to 
slow down a bit and really be mindful of our surroundings. And uh, again, for me, I think this is just one of the Lord's main emphases of sanctification for me, growth in Christ-likeness. I think the Lord is pressing me here um, especially. And that's love. Um, Related to that, another quote from Paulison here. He says, being indifferent or opinionated or avoidant or preoccupied comes easy. And it does too often come easy for me. But it is a bit of holiness when I am happy to see someone, when I ask a question and I mean it, when I listen attentively, when I genuinely affirm, when I push back candidly and constructively. And I just think, yes, that's, that's love. That's, that's what love looks like. And man, just for me, I've needed to grow in this, and I am really thankful because I do think the Lord has me on a good path. I think he's turning in my soul. And, uh, and, I, and, and I want to invite you to consider how he may be turning in you as well um, in these ways. And with that, that Paulison uh, quote there, with what he said, think about that line of pushing back uh, constructively. I'd encourage all of us to consider maybe if this in particular could be a place where the Lord is, is pressing in on you in some good ways to grow you, to stir you up to growth. This area of maybe wanting to push back on someone. Maybe feeling the need to correct um, or even rebuke somebody, straighten out someone's wrong thinking, maybe something like that. Uh, maybe with your kids, uh, maybe with your spouse, maybe with a coworker. Uh, maybe in that Facebook conversation that you're having. Um, are, we, are we doing that in love? Are we doing that? Are we pushing back constructively? In other words, we're building up. Um, now, we might, uh, might be quick to say, well, yes, we, we need to love, but we need to speak the truth. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 says that love rejoices with the truth. And so we have got to speak the truth. We've really got to be mindful of the truth, and we have got to be quick to speak out against whatever might be false that we're, that we're seeing. And I would say that that's right. We do need to be mindful of the truth. Love does rejoice with the truth. And Paul says over in Ephesians, uh, a famous line of Paul's, speak the truth in love, um, probably referring especially to the truth about Jesus. Speak the truth about Jesus in love. So we do want to speak up and, and share with people that, that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And if we will embrace him and we will trust him for that, we will be forgiven of our sins and we will be received into God's favor and we will be received into God's family. We want to rejoice in that truth and we want to speak that truth boldly. But I just want to encourage us to consider, whether it's that truth or just truth in general, just consider that, that speaking the truth sort of in and of itself isn't necessarily in and of itself this wonderful thing. There's more to it. I mean, actually, in our speaking, and I think we can all feel this, like we've been a part of this, we can actually be unhelpful in our speaking. We can actually annoy people in our speaking. We can actually hurt people with our speaking. I mean, if we're not mindful of these big, massive descriptors of, of what else goes into love beyond just being rejoicing in the truth. And we can actually shut down conversations. We can shut down conversations with our kids. I've done that. 
We can shut down conversations with our spouse. We can shut down conversations with a non-Christian co-worker or others if we're not careful to keep those, those, uh, all those descriptors in mind. We can close down conversations and a relationship rather than helping to continue the conversation and deepen those relationships. It is possible to speak the truth in a way that is annoying, that's unhelpful. Um, and the reason I use that word annoying, because I'm thinking of the, the proverb uh, of uh, blessing a neighbor loudly in the morning, right? Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 14. Some of you know this passage. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as a cursing. I mean, isn't that something? Wanting to bless somebody, and it's taken as a curse. So it is possible to speak truth to rejoice with truth in a way that's annoying, actually. And it's unhelpful. It shuts down conversation rather than trying to carry conversation forward. And it can even be damaging. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, in fact, Paul says that we could, we could even speak in the tongues of angels. Or we could have the powers of prophecy. But if that's not couched in love, he says, uh, it's a noisy gong. It's a clanging symbol. It can, it can like damage your eardrums. It's unhelpful. Um, and so we want to be mindful of it. I, I, I want to encourage us. Rejoice with the truth. Rejoice with the truth. That is one way that we love God by loving other people is that we rejoice with the truth and we speak the truth. And let's do that while being patient. Let's do that while being kind. Let's do that with gentleness. Let's do that with, um, while being polite. And in all the other descriptors of love, uh, with the very best of our ability, with God's help. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to help us in this um, for sure. So in that Facebook conversation, maybe it's on Facebook. It seems like we can be especially prone to stumble in this area on Facebook and in social media. But also face-to-face, of course. So with that coworker or with that boss, uh, with that spouse, maybe we're thinking... She's wrong, and I'm right. You know, or, or my boss is wrong, and, and I'm right. Um, or maybe with your family over Thanksgiving. I don't know what that looked like for you. Um, Christmas dinner is coming. I'm going to speak the truth here. Because they're wrong, and I'm right. Or somebody's wrong, and I'm right. Just want to be mindful here. With that Democrat neighbor, or with that Republican coworker. I mean, whatever it might be. Raw. Unob- or, uh, raw objective truth claims or arguments that are based on truth, it is possible that they can sound really noisy, unintelligible, gongy, crashing symbols uh, that, don't, that aren't on the right beat or whatever it might be, and it can, it can sound like a curse. So we just want to be mindful of that. Um, Jim Cofield gives a good reminder related to this. Jim Cofield happened to be my sabbatical coach or our sabbatical coach, he wrote a book. He says this. He says, the first commandment is not be right. It is love. We are to love God and love our neighbor like ourselves. We are here to love. We can love because we live in God's love. Now that can cause, um, maybe that can cause some of us to bristle a bit, I think. I know actually I've heard things like this before. And it's caused me to bristle a bit, this idea that, hey, the first commandment isn't about being right, it's about loving. Um, but it, 
but he can, because it can feel awkward, because we, we really do care about what's true. We really do care about what's right. We want to honor the truth. We want to honor and hold up, and we want to champion what is right and what is good and what is true. And uh, I think that's a very, very good impulse. That's a great impulse. Jesus is the truth. We care about truth. Truth matters. What's good, what's right, what's true, that matters. There is such a thing as objective truth. There is such a thing as, as being right. And there is such a thing as being wrong. That's possible. So we should care about truth. Um, and that said, I, wa- I just want to encourage us to keep growing in, in, in understanding the sense of, of, of the tie between grace, or rather love, and, and truth. Rejoicing with the truth is a, a, it is in fact a descriptor. It's one of the descriptors of love. But it's only one descriptor among many, many, many others. So bear that in mind. And loving people is going to include speaking up about what's right and what's true and to do that with meekness and to do that with compassion, with humility, with patience, with kindness, and so on. And in that, actually, it just might happen that we change somebody's mind. It just might happen. Um, uh, I'm reminded of Romans 2. Interesting, uh, I think Paul says there that um, uh, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. God's kindness leads us to, to uh, changing our mind on things. So I just want to encourage us to really love God by loving others. Um, the Lord is stirring me up in those ways. Um, it's one of the things that he's working into me here in light of sabbatical. And uh, I just want to invite you to hear the Spirit as well and see if he may be um, uh, tugging at your heart in, in this particular direction as well. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And we know what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's humble. It's meek. It's forgiving. It's compassionate. And the list goes on. Um, And we do that with our families, with our neighbors, certainly with our church family. Um, we are walking out these, these many, many descriptors of what love looks like. And, and uh, I mean, I just see that I have lots and lots of room for growth in, in these things. Just a ton of room for growth. I know I have not walked out in these ways with, uh, with my church family. I know I have not walked out in these ways with my family, with my neighbors. Um, lots and lots of room for growth. I mean, I'm thankful God has been very gracious to me, and I'm sure that... Uh, uh, I have walked out in these ways at times, but, but I just feel that that coin again dropping sort of further from my head to my heart. And envy, boasting, irritability, uh, resentment, that is not love, even when I am speaking the truth. It's not love. And so I need a, a deepening experience of God's gracious love for me. I mean, that is the force of my growth, I think, and it will continue to be the force of my growth. That, that deeper and deeper experience of God's gracious love or gracious presence in my life. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm experiencing that. I also f- see that and hear that in Jesus. Um, Jesus, as we quoted earlier, he says, As I have loved you, so love one another. And so there's a, there's a direct connect there between how deeply we grasp Jesus' love for us and how robust, how big our love for others 
will be. There's a direct connect there between how deeply that we, we grasp, again, Jesus's or God's forgiving love for us in Jesus. If we'll turn from our sin, we'll trust um, God's forgiving love for us in Jesus. The more we experience that, the more we experience that more and more deeply, there's going to be a direct connect there between that and how robust our love for others will look. And I, I'll say it again. I just want to invite you in to, um, to uh, my, my own growth in that, but, uh, but for yourself as well, uh, what might the Lord be stirring up in you related to these things? Is he stirring you to fill out more your love for him in loving others, the way that you're loving others? So thank you for listening. Um, sabbatical again, was really great. I mean, I'm so thankful to this church body for giving me that opportunity. Um, thanks, I'm thankful for the chance to be able to share some of the, the overflow of some of the things that the Lord is leading me in. And uh, I think, he, again, he's stirring me up in some good ways, refreshing, comforting, certainly challenging in some ways too. And uh, perhaps you're, you're being stirred in similar ways. So please pray with me. Lord, we do thank you um, Thank you for saving gracious love. Thank you for loving us. And I just want, Lord, that you would open our hearts here, open our, our ears, and help us to hear. Help us to hear you say, as I have loved you, so love one another. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.